0: Santa, what is best in life? To make toys. To drive your India before you. And to hear the exaltations of the children.
1: Hi, and welcome to another Intermillennium Media Project, the IWMP Podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, he's my son, and it's the holiday season. Yay! It's time for, uh, for sleigh rides and snowball
0: fights. How did you spell sleigh just now? <laughs> Take your pick. Oh, good, because this is going to be a fun and interesting holiday season.
1: It is. We've got a brand new holiday theme for you this year. Christmas with Conan. Yay! This gives me the chance to show Ian the 1980s Conan movies, starting, of course, with Conan the Barbarian. From 1982. Directed by John Milius, and, of course, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those movies that I wasn't really allowed to see at a theater when it came out. Oh, really? So I watched, uh, well, some of the movies I did see in theaters at young ages, it's uh, it is worth pointing out. This one's stuck. <laughs> but I saw it as soon as I could when it came on HBO. Ah, that makes sense. Because I'd been reading about it constantly before it came out in Starlog magazine and every place else I could get my hands on any information, and... Not necessarily entirely with my parents' knowledge and permission. I was had been reading the Marvel Conan the Barbarian comics for years. Uh-huh. Which made me start thinking, after we watched this movie, you might think of this as an early Marvel movie. Oh my goodness, it kind of is, isn't it? Because it's based on the, the character created by Robert E. Howard, and... Uh, featured in in many stories that he did mostly for Weird Tales magazine and was then Conan and the world around him the Hyborian age was picked up by other writers and expanded over the years but I think it mostly came into public consciousness and what there was of this kind of fandom in the 70s through Marvel Comics they had Conan the Barbarian as a comic series and a few spin-off series. I think that's what really led to a lot of the imagery
0: in this and what led to a lot of the uh, the hype around this. That's fascinating because for me the Conan franchise is not a series of disparate interpretations, it is a monolith. It is an ob- it is this entire densely packed thing people can get into. But it's It's never been a completely separate thing. All the fact that there are comics and books and the movies are all kind of one point or node on the network of different media franchises I've encountered, but they haven't been separate in that sense. So the idea of this being this new film that is an interpretation of this comic, that is an interpretation of the book. It that's that's the new part to me. That's this this oddity. Because to me, the time has compressed those into one grouping. In some ways
1: I can relate it to a Tolkien's Middle Earth, in that it's something within well within the span of a lifetime. It went from being something created by an author of fiction to this mythology that was kind of known and accepted by this subset of people who were into it.
0: Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. It is that kind of same sort of, of ballpark and that same sort of odd density. It's like you can have Guy with sword does thing, but there's also fans out there who Guy and his lineage holds a sword with its own history and his shield with a completely separate own history to fight enemy who has his own set of histories for (laughs) all of his cloaks and armors and potion bottles and everything. And all these cities
1: and nations and wars that we hear mentioned. Yeah. That all suggests this rich world. Now in Tolkien's case, it's one person who wrote this incredibly rich set of very long books that had so much in them. People could immerse themselves in them for decades. In in Howard's part, it was, he didn't write that much in terms of a pure word count about Conan and his world that, that Howard himself wrote. Mm-hmm. But he, he did so, so cleverly and so richly. But also, starting out in those early 20th century pulp magazines, in a culture in which the industry was based partly on what we would call fan fiction now, in that other writers could take up things and, and begin writing in that world and that was kind of encouraged especially given Howard's early uh early death. Yeah, that it, it it wasn't just one person creating this giant rich world, but together they made something that I would say is comparable to what Tolkien did.
0: There's something about this, you know, you know, community created Conan canon. Okay, tongue twister I made there. I'm so glad we tested for plosives before we started recording. <laughs> yes. But there's something about that that reminds me of, modernly, things like the SCP Foundation and other community-driven story development programs, where there's this respect of anything anyone else has has created getting voted into the pool and included in the things everyone else will then reference. So it's purely just stacking upon each other instead of branching off into disparate directions
1: and that's also what reminds me of modern day marvel movies at their their most interesting you get something like guardians of the galaxy not a super popular set of characters or super well known but they had enough to build this movie that introduced and created
0: a whole environment plus characters we cared about in a story that was compelling and ironically enough there's things about the modern depictions of drax the destroyer that definitely take from Conan myth in terms of inspiration of how they do it. Yeah, I guess so. You're right. So even there, those are crossing into each other as reference (laughs) point. So
1: we have to talk a little bit about the people who made this movie before we launch into the movie. The the most obvious is Arnold Schwarzenegger starring as Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Cimmerian. This was really Schwarzenegger's first, it was definitely his first starring role. He had done a little bit in movies, he was kind of, I it's, I don't want to dis- be too dismissive of an actor early in his career, but it was kind of stunt casting prior to this. And some could argue in this, in that he had come to public acclaim and knowledge through bodybuilding. And he was, I believe, uh, Mr. Universe, at least once, if not multiple times. He really became known for a 1976 documentary about bodybuilding called Pumping Iron. Okay. And that he kind of, he was very compelling on screen and he had this presence that caught people's attention and people who really had no interest in bodybuilding, but had an interest in documentary filmmaking and heard about this guy who's in this movie, started seeing it. And that it was based upon that after considering a whole bunch of other actors who were, experienced actors who had played tough guy roles eventually they decided no this this Schwarzenegger guy he looks like a Frank Frazetta painting he looks like all the paperback book covers people who read Conan or like the Marvel comic book covers
0: that Conan fans are expecting to see let's sign him up and they did it's kind of deceptive because he gets a lot of great acting in this movie I will say there's some very very not he he's 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 acting as an actor in some things more than you'd think it's not purely an, an action physical mo- uh role i would agree i i would would want to make sure that that he gets enough credit for
1: his acting i would say that in this movie he has well executed acting accomplished acting in a very narrow range yes and in some ways that's the ideal for someone who has some acting ability, but who is, has been cast for his look and his presence. Mm-hmm. It means that he's not just, well, yeah, we got Schwarzenegger, let's point the camera at him and we'll have people act around him. But Conan's a character that doesn't require a huge range of, of emotion and acting chops. Which is a great way to get started in movies, I would think. Exactly. And then there's the director, John Milius. I'm sure there are plenty of podcasts and articles and things about John Milius who that will go into more detail than I think we want to hear. But he was a, a director and a, f- a screenwriter, a filmmaker, with very specific political and ethical points of view, extremely conservative, I would say extremely right-wing, and some the kind of person who reads Nietzsche and sees it purely as a justification for a right-wing political point of view. Yeah. I mean, this movie begins with the probably the most famous quote from Nietzsche about that which does not destroy me makes me stronger. Mm-hmm. Which is a great quote, but it has some context around it, but that's a whole different conversation. The next movie he made after Conan the Barbarian was Red Dawn. Yeah. I, I say all this about Milius not to... Make this a critique about Milius, not to make this a podcast about him, but it's important to kind of understand the point of view this was coming from. It was very much driven by that quote from Nietzsche, by that this whole movie seems to be filled with its own sense of its own Nietzschean importance. I think, you know, with all that context, we can just kind of talk about this movie and take it, in it on its own terms.
0: Absolutely. It's good to note that it's going to be a movie that will always allow for Conan to survive that way. Yes. In, in the way that this feels like a Dungeons and Dragons escapade, the DM is on these players' side in that sense. Oh, interesting. I agree about it being like a Dungeons and Dragons game.
1: It, it, it strikes me as a Dungeons Dragons game DM'd and played by people who take Dungeons & Dragons very seriously. Oh, yes. And, you know, given the fate of some of the characters in this, I don't know that the, the, uh, the DM is on everybody's side here. He's at very least on one guy's side, and that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so we start this movie, well, the opening shots are yes. of the forging of a sword. Which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. I like those shots. Those are, good. those are good shots. And later, after the opening credits, we see that this sword is being made, or has now been made, by a man with a son named Conan. And he's, talk- he's sitting on a mountaintop, as you do, and-, and talking to his son about the riddle of steel. You know, Ian, like all the mountaintop conversations you Absol- had
0: when you were a kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but this, handing me the microphone, I'm using. This you can trust. You told me. Yes, <laughs> I must
1: teach you of the riddle of VHS. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, He was talking about the gods, and you know, you worship Crom like I do. You worship Crom, who lives in the earth and who took the riddle of steel, Mm-hmm. Uh, or the enigma of steel. And the it's enigma up to of every steel. man to help s- to solve the riddle of steel. That's the purpose of life. Which I don't know. That's a kind of cool. Metaphor wrapping
0: around that, yeah. And and that's that's one of those things. I'm going to start out. This is a movie that gets oddly and interestingly wordy at times for being a movie that has long, quiet fight scenes.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean, like a lot of De Rentis productions, you kind of see a lot of it is they had international markets in mind. They wanted to make it easy to dub, mm-hmm. and yet when they get into ideas, they they are very wordy. Absolutely. And that starts with this conversation about the enigma of steel and about Krom. Mm -hmm. And then we get a whole lot of movie with practically no
0: dialogue. Yeah. But because, because the next thing that happens is James Earl Jones rolls up with his posse.
1: (laughs) Yes. And destroys this village in which Conan and his family live. And it seems like a kind of a neat, prosperous agrarian slash
0: white industrial village because they're making swords and things as well. You get the feeling that this is the place that makes more swords than they need and exports swords. But instead of waiting for the next shipment, James Earl Jones people showed up and took them. I guess so. They probably did take a whole bunch of swords. They also took all the children. Yes.
1: They killed everybody else, including Conan's father, who used his brand new sword to, to do a pretty good job. Of trying to defend the village, but was just overwhelmed
0: by numbers. And his mom, who also put up a fight or tried to put up a fight, she she did a stand down, uh, a standoff at least. She did,
1: and that scene kind of is what tells us there's more to the James Earl Jones character of Tulsa Doom than might be readily apparent. He's not just a warlord; he at least has a certain presence. But maybe also some kind of magical or hypnotic power. Yeah. Because just by staring into each other's eyes, she goes from a ready-to-fight posture with a sword to just lowering the sword and allowing him to cut her head off.
0: Yeah. It gets kind of wacky there. But they take all the kids and bring them over to the Wheel of Pain. (laughs) Yes.
1: And at first, I wasn't sure, does the Wheel of Pain, like, do anything? But it's some kind of mill. Might be a grain mill. I was wondering if it might be crushing ore, ore for the making yeah, it, of weapons. It, it's to it's make not it near to anything that makes a grain mill make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's out on the the steps. You'd have to be hauling stuff quite some ways to make it a grain mill. But no, no, maybe it was. It's also a place that seems to have a lot of wind, but they don't use wind power. They no. use slave power. They yeah. enslaved these children and chained them to this wheel, and they
0: just pushed this wheel forever. It, just, it is so wildly inefficient for doing anything but strengthening and allowing a kid to sit and stew <laughs> in vengeance plot. It is in, it is in some ways the first training
1: montage we get. In this movie, but it's a training montage that is a brief, B, spans many years, and C, doesn't give you a lot of visual interest because it's just this person who is changed to this wheel at a very young age and starts pushing it and over time becomes Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's... Seems to be the
0: only person left by that time. Oh, goodness. Does the Please tell me that the Conan the Barbarian Wheel of Pain playset was one of those things where you put in one action figure, you press down the top, and it spins around and spits out a different action figure.
1: <laughs> oh, kind of like the... the- Oh, there was a science fiction thing that had people disappearing in a little booth. <laughs> exactly, you could they do could that use with that the same wheel technology. Of- oh, that would be great!
0: It's you put in the little kid figurine, you press down the button, and out pops the very muscly <laughs> He-Man like action figure. That
1: would be great. If if nobody has done that, they should. The Wheel of Pain playset. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I gather that, in addition to grinding whatever it is, they grind the people who took these slaves. Who, who enslaved these children, are doing this for the purpose of raising strong, enslaved people. I'm guessing? So Because eventually somebody comes along and buys Conan and trains him to, to fight. First by throwing him into a fight and seeing if he survives, and he does.
0: I'm just realizing something else. I'm, I actually might know what the Wheel of Pain does. Does because because later on we see all of uh Thassa Doom's fancy things and he's got a lot of very nice like gemstones and such. Underneath that is there just like a large cotton or wool pad with like grit rouge on it, and they're just doing, like <laughs> they're just doing gemstone polishing, oh, or they, they're it,
1: driving it, a rock tumbler. Maybe yeah, it's it's the
0: it, that is the <laughs> largest rotary polisher you've ever seen because it would make sense why it he's would. putting people there. <laughs> But yeah, it's, you know, we cut to, uh, now he is, uh, now everyone else is dead. It's just Arnold Schwarzenegger pushing the wheel and he's purchased, which apparently means there's no more need for the wheel. Well, there's no one else pushing it.
1: No, it wouldn't surprise me if they go out and kidnap another bunch of people eventually. Good point. But again, then again, it's been at least 10 years uh, and they haven't grabbed anybody else, apparently, to add to this particular wheel.
0: But he's he's massively strong, and he's been purchased and immediately put into pit fights. Right, and he's literally done nothing
1: since childhood except stand up and push this wheel. And I do like the fact that his first fight, he does not know what to do and is seems to be terrified. He's just bigger than everybody else, so once he realizes... This guy's going to
0: kill me. He fights back and wins. hmm And this is where we get the other montage, which I think is the most, the more fascinating one. Which is the montage of Conan's training and education.
1: Yes. At first, it's just fight after fight where he survives. And then when he has kind of achieved this, this pinnacle of being uh, the, the champion of the fighting pits. They start to really train
0: him. Yeah, but they don't just train him on swords and weapons. He's also like, as they point out, he's given like learning. He's given written word. Which is wild for a prehistoric age. Like he's given like philosophy textbooks. That's when I realized Conan the Barbarian is a barbarian in the Non-Roman sense. Guess who's in Rome?
1: Barbarians. What's a barbarian?
0: Non-Romans, said the Romans, being invaded by non-Romans. RIP, Roman Empire.
1: Right. He lived, he was, grew up in this village. Uh, he, he was born in this village outside of any no, uh, acknowledged king or emperor. That makes him a barbarian. Exactly. This is, like, I...
0: It's just kind of wild, because when you look at it like that, it becomes the story of... Uh, like a young college athlete with a philosophy degree goes backpacking across Europe, becomes this movie. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very different take, but it's like Conan is smart. Not yes. universally, but he has understanding and knowledge. There's so many other things that will play their barbarian character as the muscle is the dumb one. But no, Conan can sit and talk philosophy with you and possibly also kill you. Those are not exclusive to each other.
1: And that's something I like about this, that, this movie, because especially watching it again, that fact, those things that you're pointing out that are not typical of this kind of movie, I think it shows something of Milius's ideas. It also shows you a lot about the character Redbeard, who's the guy who bought and then trained uh, Conan or paid for his training, that strength alone is not enough. You're not going to accomplish what you need to accomplish by strength alone. You need knowledge. You need education. You need training in how to use that strength.
0: Yeah. Knowing how to fix someone and fix yourself if you get hurt also means you know where to hit someone that is unfixable. (laughs) So I'll teach you both. And knowing philosophy might teach
1: you not only might teach you in addition to knowing how to fight, when to fight and why to fight. Exactly. Exactly. And all of the fact that all of this had some, some importance to uh, Redbeard explains why Redbeard eventually
0: frees Conan. Yeah. Like, he, we're showing them them getting so much money. He is... They're able to hire multiple trainers to teach him different martial arts and weapons. He is able to get all these, these rugs and robes and riches. And... So they're making money, but Redbeard, knowing and understanding the the philosophy, respects Conan as a person and lets him go. Even if we get the idea that that might be the worst thing for him as a businessman, but there's just a a humanity of it.
1: And I really never quite understood that in the past. It seemed like it was just, oh, the plot needs Conan to be free now, so Redbeard frees him. Watching it again... And watching that scene with Redbeard and the other wealthy battle lords in the tent and talking about the question of what is best in life.
0: Conan, what is best in life?
1: To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of
0: their women. That is good. That is good.
1: I, I understood better why Redbeard says, I cannot keep this man where he is. I must give him his freedom. There's a sad pride to it. Right. Uh, he's learned this. That's made me wealthy, but it's not fair, so I'm going to free him.
0: Mm-hmm. Just, just, that's, that's a it's, sweet thing. Yeah,
1: it is. I mean, he, uh, uh, Redbeard is still a slaver who has become wealthy on the death of others, but he also has some regard for other people's humanity when it suits him. Exactly. And and that makes him a complex character, which, you know, complex characters make great stories. Oh, yeah.
0: That also does fit, though, the, the underlying theme of Conan picks up multiple dads. Because <laughs> he had his initial dad who yes. taught him about Chrome Redbeard acts kind of like a different father figure teaching him other things. And there's this, like... This moment of understanding when he's freed, where there's this, like, the closest thing to a heartfelt goodbye the two of them would have. But there's a complexity there of, like, this multiple, this multiple layers of respected other figure. But now that Conan's free, you know, he didn't
1: have a whole lot to do while pushing the Wheel of Pain or in between training and fighting. So so uh so he's still got a vendetta to deal with. Yeah. So he wants to hunt down this guy who destroyed his village and killed his parents. And all he knows is this standard that was carried, the two serpents. Yeah. And he goes around trying to find information about this. He, he r- runs into a witch who tries to kill him or ensnare him, uh, but who... Also gives him information about the city in which he'll find more information about
0: this snake cult. He obtains a map, a quest marker, and a a bit of foreshadowing. Yes, and defeats a mini boss to get them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what happens there. And he also, like, finds a tomb, obtains a sword, and shows respect to the guy whose sword he took. Although I, w- I am impressed that he's, is he's able to just smack the sword on the ground a couple times and it comes out polished and silver.
1: Yes, it's like that wasn't so much corrosion as it was, uh, you know, factory protective coating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's something I like about this setting and about the Conan setting in general is this is supposed to be so ancient that we it's, it's, it's a deep, rich history that we have simply forgotten. And things like that tomb let us know... There are things even older than that that no one in Conan's time remembers because they're so old. Yeah. There's this idea of a depth of
0: time that is fascinating. There's an there's an idea of a depth of time that makes it it feel ancient but also there's too much time in its ancientness to exist which means you don't know when it is or if it's coming or what. Mm-hmm. There's as much things that make you question if it's post-apocalyptic as it is ancient. Oh, that never ever occurred oh, to me. Maybe it's just the way I've interacted with it. There's just things about it where it's like every once in a while there's things that don't quite mesh up about what it wants to throw in from history that are just off from each other enough that it makes me start to wonder.
1: That could be. And I I'm probably putting it more in the perspective of some of the original stories which talked about the fact that this is an, an ancient time, long forgotten. But then again, you know, it's also, there are stories set a long time ago in galaxies far, far away, that are they really in the future or are they just, are they really in the past or are they in the past of whoever it is that's narrating? Exactly. But yeah, I never thought of Conan as post, potentially post-apocalyptic, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that ours is the most recent of a, a long, deep span of, of civilization after civilization, of which Conan's world is a part. Exactly. I like that. So a lot of the rest of the story is kind of a series of little
0: thief heist vignettes. This is where the movie becomes episodic, where it's like we've gotten the pre we've gotten the setup and now we do have a story that crosses multiple, but you can kind of break it up into chunks from there.
1: And Conan meets up with Sabutai, who's a thief and an archer, kind of a, a fast, clever, small, wiry, wily guy, and Valeria, a strong, beautiful thief-slash-warrior woman, and they actually are targeting the same place, and they team up because of that. They get to a city that was, he, he got the, uh, the clues about,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: there's this snake tower that has a, and and someone talks about how these have appeared in all the cities and it's like taking over they f- everywhere.
0: They find the 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 nearest Thulsa Doom franchise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's run by a guy who gets to, to to borrow the cloak and the standard and the power. <laughs> this is this, this is a franchise opportunity. You can open up your own Snake Tower in your town if you want. Yeah.
1: There's a guy outside with a copy of Dianetics for Snakes asking, "Do you want to take a personality test?"
0: <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. but they it is absolutely a heist movie because it's the whole like I'll I'll disguise myself and go in uh, while you two climb down the rope to hunt things in the basement and steal the jewel from the middle of the room
1: and it really is good that they met up with Valeria because it is a three person job in that she has to scope things out and distract people for the getaway while Conan and Sabotai go in and and find where the jewel is at the lowest level of the temple. And what Valeria finds out is there are also all these weird rituals happening, including the sacrifice of young women to this giant snake who lives at the bottom of the tower. Yeah. And that's where you get... I'm a little disappointed at how they executed this, but I'm glad they included it with the, the fight between Conan and the giant snake. Oh, I kind of loved that fight, though. It is cool. And he, he, the, he steals the jewel, the eye of the serpent. But before he escapes, the giant snake that looked like a statue turns out to be a real snake. And he has to fight it.
0: I love the fact that in a movie that, is all, that has these big bombastic action fight scenes there is a true amount of, like, oh, snap, we didn't prepare for that panic in the way they (laughs) fight this snake. Because they don't just hit it, they don't just pin it to the wall with an arrow, they then hit it with three more arrows and keep hitting it until its head comes off. (laughs) In this absolute, like, ah, no, no, get away! No, 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 is it dead? No, 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 okay, now. (laughs) There is this this perfect I wasn't prepared for that. I can handle, but I wasn't prepared for it. Kind of frenetic energy. You, ma- you make it sound like somebody killing a spider with a broom. It feels like that. Is it dead yet? No, whack. Is it dead yet? No. There, it feels like that. Because literally there's this like, oh, this is pretty, and the snake comes up behind him like a classic, you know, horror villain about to strike. It's nice to see an amount of Battle vulnerability early on so that when our characters are prepared and ready, it feels like they were prepared and ready and not like they just default to this.
1: And the reason I I wanted this scene in there was that so many of the book covers and Marvel comic book covers had whether or not it was in the story, had these shots of Conan with a giant snake or some other sufficiently flexible monster wrapped around him. But all you can really see is Conan's head and his mighty sword arm and maybe another arm trying to choke the monster. And Conan about to strike the thing. There were all these dynamic Conan versus monster paintings used for these comics and books. So I needed Conan versus something like a giant snake. But no specific shot in this scene ever captured the, the feel and the action of those paintings. So I was a little disappointed in the execution. I think they were limited by what they were doing in movies in 1982, but I was still glad to see it.
0: This is a moment where you get to, I get to point out that Nick Alder, the special effects supervisor and the team of 15 who worked on this did an amazing job. Because when there are those supernatural elements in here, they are smoothly blended. They are a nice piece of this world. They are never made too flashy, and they're never made... They always feel like they are just naturally existing as part of the world.
1: There were some things that I was, uh, was reading recently about some of the practical effects they did in this. Like, for some of their settings if they needed a mountain with an ancient city on top of it they would find the location build an appropriately shaped and scaled model of the ancient city put that up on sticks and then shoot it from an angle that made it look like this ancient city was on top of this real mountain which is brilliant it was clever real world like you know in camera compositing of models and uh, and real locations that it's one of the things that gives this movie such a good look, I think. Everything looks and feels real. That's another problem I have with the snake. It looked more puppety I than getcha. a lot of the stuff in this yeah. movie. Because so much of it looks, oh, this is a real solid place where people live and work and fight. Yeah. Hmm. So, and that a lot of that goes to that effects team that you were talking about.
0: Oh, yeah. And they've got some stuff later on where it's like, they just set a mood with an environment that just m- gets to you. But once they've done that, they've kind of gotten on the radar of uh, the the Doom Cult, which is simultaneously just like clever brand naming because they are both a Doom Cult and a cult following Doom.
1: And not only are they on the cult's radar, but they're given a job. <laughs> yeah. because They're they- hauled before King, Os- after they succeed in this heist and the destruction of, you know, the, the slaying of most of the people in this uh, serpent tower. They're hauled before King Osric, thinking uh, it seems like they're going to be in really big trouble. And King <laughs> Osric really wants to congratulate them and thank them for helping take care of this horrible blight to his city and his kingdom. And... He wants them to, he wants to hire them, pay them in great wealth to go out and take care of this Thulsa Doom guy because he's doing this all over the countryside, all the cities, and he's kidnapped by daughter into his
0: cult. Yeah. And, and there, <laughs> that twist is a wonderful moment <laughs> because they're like covering like, oh, no, our friend got eaten by lions, throws the friend into the room. Ah, eaten by lions, you say. <laughs> and I like the like, hand everyone a cup, like we're going to drink some wine. And then fill those cups with rubies as payment. (laughs) Like, please, this is your payment to gold cup full of gemstones. Go kill those other people, please.
1: And that sequence from them carousing with their wealth after stealing from the the serpent temple to being arrested and brought before King Osric. That's where we get a little bit of the, the range that Schwarzenegger does have in portraying humor. Yes, he play, he portrays humor. He portrays it in a very broad, dull kind of way that is very
0: believable for Conan. Absolutely. And so yeah, by this point we've gotten to see him portray this, you know, broad humor. We've we've gotten him, you know, discussing philosophy and religion with with his compatriots at various different points. We've seen him train and fight but also be unprepared in a fight both Originally and currently, but still make it through, he's got depth to him already, which makes it much better when he's given the f- the impetus to finally go on his biggest quest.
1: Yeah, and, and I forgot about the the religious conversations they have, like him, him and Sabotage. Sabotai's yeah. talking about he... His gods he he worships the gods of the sky and he pray and you know they don't even talk about worship as much as they talk about who do you pray to yeah it's like, who's your guy who's your guy and for Sabatai it's it's the 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 sky and the wind and for Krom, for 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 Conan it's Krom who lives in the earth and Conan talking about you know I don't pray to him much because he never listens but I know that I'll be be judged uh, by him eventually for what kind of person I was. Yeah. And that is a good kind of summary of what we get for a lot of these stories. There's one line I remember I don't remember if it was originally with Robert E. Howard or another writer but it's that Crom, Krom is a god that Conan can swear by but not pray to.
0: Yeah. It definitely. I is like that. There's just, a, there's just this like fun building moments but they're, they have this you know it's not just like oh you're a good fighter. Oh you're a good fighter. Let's be friends. No it's like how do you see the world we live in? Well, I see it this way. I see it this way. I can get along with you and you'll fight good. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's a nice balance they've got going.
1: There are times when this movie reminds me a little bit, just almost little scenes and shots, reminds me a little bit of Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai yeah jim jarmusch movie starring uh, forrest whitaker yes there are bits about someone who goes through a dangerous world with a specific worldview and set of values and knows how to deal with and interact with those whose values and worldviews are different yeah
0: i see what you're saying yeah there is some similarity there but our, our, our main trio now has a goal and has been paid on for this quest. They do,
1: but two of them don't really want any part of this. No. They've got their advance for this job. They've still got the giant gem, the Eye of the Serpent. And Valeria and Sabotai just want to take the money they've got and run. They don't want to mess with Tulsa Doom. They don't have to. They could go anywhere and live like uh, wealthy lords. But... Conan needs to see this through, because A, Balsa Doom is, by all evidence, the person who killed his family mm-hmm. in his village. And he. I think he's also thinking about the fact that this king asked him to save his daughter. There's a respect to that. So he, and knowing it's super dangerous, Conan goes off and, and goes to accomplish the mission himself, yep. leaving Sabatai and Valeria behind, even though by this time... Conan and Valeria are very much in love and they seem to be inseparable and yet he leaves to accomplish this mission. And that goes poorly. <laughs> we get a little more of Schwarzenegger's comedy and it doesn't work quite as well in these scenes, I think, as it did in the carousing scenes because here it turns out that like there's this growing like Cult of Flower Child type people who are gathering around Thulsa Doom. Oh, and they find out that Thulsa Doom lives in his Mountain of Power. <laughs> now, Thulsa Doom and his Mountain of Power, that sounds like a 30 person funk combo. It does. A, a soul, soul music uh, act.
0: Oh, that's another playset too. <laughs> the Mountain of Power playset.
1: <laughs> but they, so all these pilgrim kind of, you know, Hyborian hippies are gathering around the Mountain of Power hoping to be let in and become part of the group. And apparently they they do and they are and they're recruited in. And Conan disguises himself as one of their priests.
0: I do love that moment where he's like, can we go over there where no one can see us to talk? Oh, certainly. <laughs> Thump puts on, takes the guy's outfit. It's like <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, the 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 tall thin guy he does this to is wearing a very loose robe, which happens to fit over Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> barely, but does fit actually.
1: But um, this uh, this ruse does not work very well. It it gets him like to the gate, and that's about it. Yeah. Well, he yeah he gets he gets
0: part way in, and he's immediately discovered <laughs>
1: <laughs> after a few attempts at kind of bluffing his way through, like you know, looking into the special pool of water, and what do you see? Uh, infinity. infinity, yeah, it's like, very good,
0: very good. And you get the impression they've just been humoring him until they can surround him. They do, but also it's another instance of like he, he Conan understands the concept of infinity. Yeah, I bet a lot of people in the the uh, the death pits did not even know that concept. Yeah, it's like okay, he's gotten some like he's not he's not completely botching these these rolls, but he's not making the skill check. <laughs> But up, upon being captured and uh, taunted, he is uh, tied to the Tree of Woe, which yes. I'm assuming is named by the same uh, director for Thulsa Doom who, who named the Wheel of Pain. You know, he's, he's got good branding. He's got, he's got, brand- got the Wheel of Pain, the, the, ta- man- the Mountain of Power. I almost said the
1: Tower of Power, which I think is a musical combo. I think that is. Yeah, the, the Wheel of Pain, the Mountain of Power, the Tree of Woe. It's got you know, very direct... Oh yeah, he's he's got a style coordinator. (laughs) But before the Tree of Woe, we actually have this confrontation between Conan and Falsa Doom, which again is is James Earl Jones playing super filled with presence, power over others around him just because of who he is. Bad guy, yeah. And yet, I say bad guy. We don't get a clear idea what. There are times when. I almost get the impression that the filmmakers behind this aren't necessarily portraying Valsa Doom as capital B bad guy as much as he's, they're portraying him as powerful person who is winning at the moment, but whose interests are
0: contrary to those of our protagonist. I get that for Doom. They do a good job of making his bad guy organization, capital B, bad guy, for various other reasons.
1: Yeah. And he does demonstrate his power to Conan by ordering one of his, just randomly ordering one of his uh, uh, cult members to throw herself off a cliff. Yeah. Because he's, he's answering, he was giving Conan Thulsa's answer to the riddle of steel. What is the riddle of steel? And Thulsa's summary of it, you know, spoiler for this many decades old movie. Thulsa's answer to this is the riddle of steel is that the true power is in the hand and the arm and the strength that wields the steel. It's not the steel itself. Mm-hmm. And Thulsa sees himself as the person on top because he has learned how to wield not just steel, but all the weapons at his disposal, physical and otherwise. And that's where you're. you're Point about the theme of Conan finding fathers is so strong.
0: Yeah, because he kind of becomes another care another potential guide there. It's like, ah he- <laughs> There's things in the way Thalsa Doom is portrayed that remind me of the Street Fighters movies M. Bison, where it's like, ah, for like the day that I came to your village was the most important day of your life. For me, it was a Tuesday. There's just this, like, you're underneath me. I have this grander thing than just you, but my presence has influenced and changed who you are. You're a you're a creation of my presence kind of attitude there. It's like, ah, yeah, look at you. You've made yourself strong. You've gotten yourself a vengeance thing. But that's because of me thank me kind of attitude. You're very
1: right. There is that. I'm almost, almost exactly that speech from Thulsa doom saying, you know, I made you what you are. I don't even remember your village. There were so many, but what would you be without me? Exactly. And there, I definitely, and I think this is something of the nuance of James Earl Jones as an actor. There's definitely this feel of, I wish I could recruit you to be my right hand because you are, you have such potential. You could, we could be so great together. Reminds me a bit of another character James Earl Jones gives voice to. Yeah, but gave year- voice to. Yeah, about earlier. two years earlier. It's like, <laughs> oh hey, join me. But he also understands. I think Tholso Doom understands more than the other guy did. More than Darth Vader did. That he's never going to join me. I can't let him pretend that he will. I just have to get rid of him now. Yeah, but they don't just slay Conan while they've got him surrounded. Instead, as you say, they they nail him to the
0: tree of woe. So they crucify him on this giant dead tree. Which leads to the very odd scene of dying Conan eats a a vulture in order to show he refuses to die. (laughs) And starts laughing a whole lot when he's finally being saved. Because who shows up? Sabatai, Sabatai.
1: <laughs> oh, and I, did we skip the wizard? Well...
0: Oh, we he s- meets the wizard yeah, first
1: he- on his way to the, the, the mountain of power. Yeah, it's like, oh, hi, are you a wizard? Yes! Cool! Mako, who has been narrating this movie as Conan's chronicler, who gives foreshadowing from the very beginning that Conan is a great legendary hero who eventually becomes king by his own hand. And it's no accident that I am his chronicler. We finally meet the character that Mako is playing, and that is the rather crazy wizard who lives near the beach. I'm a wizard, mind you. This place is kept by powerful gods and spirits of kings. I'm my flesh, and you will have to deal with the dead.
0: Who Conan almost kind of crosses by accident (laughs) he just is kind of making his way through and he walks through this guy's area because he's near this this is rock henge that has
1: spiritual and mystical power and significance and uh, according to the wizard no fires will burn in there and things like that and for a while we have no reason to believe that this is anything other than a crazy hermit yeah and conan Rests for a while with him and leaves his horse there in his care while he walks off to join the flower children and eventually infiltrate the the
0: mountain of power. But there's kind of this interesting, like, I'm a weird outsider. I'm a weird outsider. Cool. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And goes on their way moment. I love that. Oh, yeah. Let's be weird outsiders together for a while. Mm hmm.
1: And it's a good thing because his. uh <laughs> His efforts to stay alive and, and eat vultures and things notwithstanding, Conan's in pretty rough shape. He's only mostly dead, yes. which means he's partly alive. <laughs> so they have to bring him back to Mako, to Miracle Maxim. Yes. <laughs> so Valeria and Sabatai bring Conan back to uh, to the wizard, and the wizard sets up this very elaborate ritual that is going to essentially bring the spirits of death Bring the demons of death and also protect him from the demons of death so that if he survives this, they won't take him and he'll be alive. Yeah.
0: There's this little bit of an intriguing bit where uh, uh, you know, Mako is like, well, I can bring him back, but I'll bring a bunch of other things with it. So we'll protect him from the things there, but we'll have to make sure they don't take him because they're going to want to keep him. And you get this kind of feel like Subatai and Valeria are there just like... Okay, dude. Looking at each other for a moment, and then when glowy red apparitions start trying to yank Conan's body away in the middle of the night, they scramble in a "Oh snap, Mako wasn't joking" <laughs> kind of moment, where it's like any d- they have a little bit of doubt early on, but they're willing to try anything to get their friend back, and then there's this "Oh snap." Kind of moment later <laughs> Those on. Those are actual demons. Those are actual demons. Ah. And
1: Mako did give them, the wizard did give them the the warning slash foreshadowing that, you know, you'll have you you'll have gotten the attention of the, the demons and there will be a, a price to pay for this. But Conan does survive. Mm-hmm. And they prepare for a new assault
0: on the mountain of power. And And they they head back out, and Conan's last response to Mako is a very, very thankful and solemn nod and respect. Which, for a guy that's been collecting father figures, I think we can add one. I think so. There's a little bit of an extra, like, oh, you're a person I can learn from, and you're letting me go off and do my things, thank you, to him, that's another one of those instances, and you, I get the feeling like Mako's like, I'm gonna have to follow that kid, things are gonna happen, <laughs> yes. which would explain why he's the chronicler later, but yep. that's kind of the last we get of Mako, but it also does set up this connection between him being the narrator and those moments of respect, it's like there's this, la- this extra connection, and he goes off with a, a new guidepost and a home to return to, vaguely? Right, at least someone who knows him. Exactly. I, I kind of
1: get the impression that the wizard would not necessarily have given anybody passing by the hospitality and attention and care that he gave Conan when, when Conan first came through because he saw there's something special about this guy. Yeah,
0: it's like, I like you. I'll adopt you. <laughs> Didn't I see you in that bodybuilding documentary? <laughs> <laughs> you just go into the little hut and he's just got a bunch of magazines. <laughs> Oh, goodness.
1: The second assault on the Mountain of Power, they're back to kind of what they do best. They're not trying to con their way in. You know, they're not trying to be the the grifter from leverage. They're back to being the
0: fighters slash infiltrators. Yeah, this is this is full on. uh, Let's put on zigzag shadow camo. So we're hard to see (laughs) and sneak in with an intent to burn the place down and knock it over.
1: And because still, their, their goal is not just mm. revenge against Thulsa Doom, but also to rescue King Osric's daughter. hmm And they make it in uh, past some guards they're able to take out pretty easily. Yeah. To the great throne room slash orgy room.
0: Yeah. Of, uh, of Thulsa Doom. And they definitely get a sign of just how bad guy the bad guys are as they go through the cannibalistic kitchen.
1: Yes, I mean, anybody who is, is, is... Thulsa Doom's on his throne, there's a pile of people in the middle in some kind of an orgy, and there's a big pot of human soup available.
0: Yeah, and meanwhile, and and while they're infiltrating, Thulsa Doom is doing his yoga meditation and turning into a snake.
1: Yes, that's the first time we see that kind of full-on magic yeah. from Thulsa Doom,
0: not just power of personality it's like oh he's here his eyes change his face gets longer and then it's snake in a shirt (laughs)
1: again we almost had the the setup for that perfect conan book cover with conan with a snake wrapped around him and conan about to chop its head off
0: i want to see one of those conan book covers but the snake has to be wearing the shirt (laughs) (laughs) Same thing, just draw the little shirt with the little pauldrons that have no arms sticking out (laughs) on the snake.
1: (laughs) And uh, yeah, this doesn't go very well for for most of the people in this room because Conan and his friends, they, they make it in, they grab the princess, they slay most of the people there, and they also fight with two of the guys who were Thalsa Doom's lieutenants back when Thalsa Doom destroyed Conan's village. Yeah,
0: Blade Man and
1: Hammer Man. <laughs> right. Both of whom look like the the bass player and rhythm
0: guitarist for a, a late 70s metal band. They do. I do like that Hammer Guy missing his swing helps knock down the main room and looks kind of concerned about that
1: yeah he kind of looks around looks at his hammer looks at the pillar it's like uh uh-oh i'm
0: in trouble (laughs) like that's coming out of my paycheck that
1: was an amusing little comedy beat i was not expecting in the middle of this carnage
0: oh yeah but uh as they're fleeing with a princess in tow we get to see one of falsa main powers which is snake archery
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was that was unexpected and cool. I first like, saw
0: that. Yeah, allow me to pull a live snake, and I will turn it into a straight arrow that I can fire out of a bow, and it homing shots into people.
1: Right, he's got this weird little bit of sleight of hand, turning the snake into an arrow, and whispers, you know, like seek or something
0: like that. Exactly, it's like that's actually like <laughs> wild kind of moment, but it unfortunately takes Valeria from us.
1: Right, and I get the impression that was Thulsa's plan was not to kill Conan, but to kill what Conan loved. Like Again.
0: Yeah, you took my lady, I'll take your lady.
1: <laughs> so, and then they have to stop and see how Valeria is, and it turns out she's, there. there's ma- there's a magical arrow, so she's not going to survive it. And this touching death scene between her and Conan. Yeah. And that gives Conan yet more motivation for destroying Balsa Doom.
0: And so, they... But they've they know now that uh like they've taken this girl. Thulsa's now going to come after them. There's no more need to go into the mountain, cause Thulsa's gonna come out of the mountain and try to kick your butt. Okay. Well, I know a place we can set up, and we get <laughs> We get the Conan the Barbarian, home alone, traps the entirety of the ruins <laughs> montage. Yes, that rock
1: henge near where the wizard lives—that becomes their their place to fortify. Yeah. And there's a long sequence that's kind of cool, watching them set this up with, yeah. with, with anti-cavalry pikes and spring-loaded traps. Some of the traps are like, yeah, this will be useful if you happen to get somebody of exactly the right height and exactly the right place.
0: But Conan does understand some basic mechanical engineering. Yeah. Yeah, hey, we can add that to the things he studied.
1: And it's not just that they are waiting here. They lure the bad guys to this spot. And it's also, we get a bit that, that confirms for the wizard, there's something special about this, this Conan, this Sumerian. Mm-hmm. Because Conan sets up a funeral pyre for Valeria in the middle of this rock henge where- um, uh, Fire will not burn. Yeah, the wizard says, you know, no fire will burn there. What is he doing? And this funeral pyre burns. Yeah.
0: And that's what, like a, oh, something <laughs> listened to you.
1: And then they're, they're, some of them are saying, well, well this is bad. They're going to see all that smoke from the, the mountain of power and they're going to find us.
0: And that's exactly Conan's plan. Exactly. That, that's, that's what this is. This is part of what this is for. <laughs> now, please put those skeletons and pike shields there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's not a whole lot to say about most of the battle. Except no. that we get to see how well all the stuff that Conan and, and the, the wizard and Sabatai set up work. And the answer is pretty well between the skeletons uh, and with their, their helmets as decoys and the pikes that prevent them from charging right in with their
0: horses. And, and being very, very quick, almost Captain American-like with a shield to block a, uh, another homing snake one yes. time. It's like a couple of moments i do like the homing snake denting the metal shield moment (laughs) it's like what that that snake is moving quick
1: and even the wizard gets involved in the fighting a bit which surprises him but also kind of thrills him it seems Mm -hmm. and they do make good use of the fact that they've got these rocks and they can find small passageways between them which helps reduce the 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 importance of the numbers that uh, the bad guys bring
0: and that has the important uh Krom, if you're listening, please help moment. Oh, right. Yeah, we finally see Conan actually pray to Krom. <laughs> like, I don't do this much, but... <laughs> exactly. Please help me defeat my enemies, or if not, beep you. Krom.
1: I've never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if you we were good men or bad. Why
0: we fought, or why we died... All that matters is that two stood against many. That's what's important. lord pleases you, Kram. So grant me one request. Grant me revenge. And if you do not listen, then the hell with you. Like it's just this wild kind of moment, but it it fits with this climactic everything coming together moment.
1: Of course, our heroes are successful, including finally taking out those two lieutenants, you know, Blade Guy and Hammer Guy. Yep. Both of whom get nice, long, extended fights, essentially duels against Conan. And that's also when we see Valeria come back.
0: Yeah, she's like, like even if I'm dead, I'll help you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll crawl, crawl back from the, the land of the dead to be at your side and fight with you. And she and does. She does. She pops up for a moment in silver armor and smacks a guy and says, don't, like, <laughs> get up. <laughs> and Cohen's just like, dang, and gets up.
1: And towards the end of this fight, we see that, you know, Doom has shown up with them, but sees how things are going and, and runs away, goes back to his mountain. yeah.
0: And this definitely feels like it's a setback, but it's not the end of Doom. But Doom is planning something big. He's gathering all of his uh, cultists and everything else, and it seems like he's trying to reamass power or follow through with some larger plan he was doing, possibly quicker now that he doesn't have all of his lieutenants.
1: It's Yeah, I almost get the impression he's planning to convert this cult into an army. Yeah. And then go sweep across the continent in a more comprehensive way than he did 10 years before. And that's when Conan comes back in the middle of this big assembly when Doom is about to give this speech. And that's where we get this speech, this, this scene between Doom and Conan, where, where Doom is making explicit, you know, who is your father if not me? Exactly. Why don't you join me? Don't you see that we have all this power and you could be instrumental in wielding it? My child, you have come to me, my son. For who now is your father if it is not me who gave you the will to live?
0: I am the wellspring from which you flow. You did a wonderful job clearing up a space right here at my right hand. Would you like it? And uh, Conan's answer is no. Take that, I'll, I'll take that sword you took from my father, and I will mimic the scene of what you did to my mother. <laughs> and all of your little cultist guys are going to turn off their candles and leave.
1: Now, that was a little weird and abrupt, that as soon as Thulsa Doom has been beheaded by Conan, like, everybody just who was in their robes and their candles. They just start walking up, throwing their candles in the pool and walking away. It does. It makes
0: sense because it's a callback to what he did to his mother. It implies that the entire group of people there are partially magically hypnotized. And the moment you toss the hypnotic leaders head down the staircase, everyone else is going, why am I here in this silly looking robe, holding a candle? (laughs) I've got a house to get back to. And they start leaving. So everybody suddenly gets a new saving throw with triple advantage. (laughs) Pretty much. It's like (laughs) everybody is just like, there's a bunch of people going like, how did I get here? Okay, that makes
1: sense. If you you go with that, it is absolutely magic. And it's not just, oh, the guy who seemed to be immortal is mortal. I guess all this is a lie. That would be enough, but I like
0: yours Yeah, That was magic. The the fact that the, the scene is directly a parallel to the... The same sort of pacifying whatever he did to his mom before beheading, and then it's a beheading, and the breaking of that same sort of spell has this parallel. Yeah, I like that. It is, it is bookended by that, that, that symmetry. Mm-hmm. It's Mm-hmm. You know, Conan sees magic for the first time, and it ends with, Conan smacks that magic with a sword hard enough to stop it. It kind of fits the guy. So that is finally the culmination of
1: our story. Where Conan has freed all of these people and has killed the person who killed his family and his village.
0: He's burned down the temple of the bad guys and theoretically has a large amount of gold and riches but keeps wandering.
1: Yeah, I mean what yeah, what does he have? He, he theoretically has the riches uh, from from Osric and I guess whatever he can loot. Well, not anything he could loot because he instead just burns down the, the Mountain of Power. Yeah. Or burns out the palace that was there. And I guess he's got a
0: couple of friends. He's, he's got... he's back to wandering. He's got an arrow buddy and a wizard dead. And he can wander. But we also then
1: get this epilogue. Yeah. This epilogue, which it I don't know why well, I can guess why. We don't get Mako narrating this epilogue. We get this shot of... An older Conan crowned and on a throne, and we get this text epilogue of how he had many other great adventures and eventually became king by his own hand, which is a great epithet, great turn of phrase that we hear a few times in this movie. King by his own hand. Mm -hmm. He didn't inherit it. He took it. But we just get the text. We don't get Mako, his chronicler, reciting this. I almost get the impression that that was added later because somebody saw this and said, this looks good. We can make more of these yeah. movies. We've got to set up the idea of more of these movies at the end. Let's quick put a, uh, a a scroll in front of this and get Arnold sitting on a throne for a few seconds.
0: Conan will return. <laughs> right. It's like, okay.
1: Uh, maybe that's the reason why they didn't have the narration, because it seems so jarring not to have the chronicler who's been telling the story all along finish telling the story or
0: at least tease chapter two. Yeah, but it is very open in that sense. It does a great job of, oh, great. The guy we were here to kill is dead. What now? And it ends there. Right. Which
1: fits. So I'm glad they added that. I just wish they had added it more smoothly. But it is another great example of how we, I, I always get the impression, even in this movie taken on its own, what we see is a little tiny bit of a giant complex world. Mm-hmm. I love that. It is a, it's a good, it does a good job of that. This movie, uh, I really enjoyed this when I watched this when I was younger, when it showed up on HBO a, a year or two after it was in theaters. And I know I knew some people, and I still know some people, who think, like, this is the, the pinnacle of movies, especially for guys. I think there's a lot of interesting things to see in this, a lot of inter- interesting things to take from this, but I also see that it's got some flaws. Maybe I'm, I'm getting into our final questions here.
0: Yeah, I think we are. So, yeah, screen or no screen, Ian, what do you think? It is it is a fun movie, I'd say screen. It's not a perfect movie, it's not a it's not a movie for everybody. It's not even a a movie that will always be the most fun at the it has to be at the right time, but it's a fun movie if you, it is the right moment for it. It's it's yeah. the right kind of adventure for certain moments.
1: You have to know what you're getting into and kind of take it on its own terms. And there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff to watch, a lot of interesting stuff to think about. I think that some of the way it was made, some of the direction is very self-indulgent. Like I said before, it seems to have this overblown sense of its own great importance. And that leads to some scenes going on and some sequences going on longer than they really have a need to. But apart from some quibbles like that, I would say screen. Yeah, this is a screen movie. And, you know, another reason to screen it is just to see this first starring role by Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Oh, yeah. His acting makes this movie work. I I don't think it would be the same with someone who couldn't get this philosopher-fighter kind of mode right.
1: You're right, but it's also thinking about some of the other people who had been considered over the course of the 70s while they, for almost a decade, they were thinking about this movie and trying to get it done. I think they thought about people like Charles Bronson and such, and they're good actors. All the people that they they considered for the part. But Conan requires a physical presence. He is supposed to be a character who just by his presence is intimidating. Mm -hmm. And there weren't too many people like that in movies until we come along with a a Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So I think that leads us to our next uh, question. Revive, reboot, or rest in peace?
0: Well, like always, I'm going to have to reference the fact that it has been rebooted. The 2011 Conan the Barbarian film starring Jason Momoa, narrated by Morgan Freeman, Starring Rachel Nichols, Rose McGowan, and Ron Perlman, alongside Momoa. It's like, this sounds like a great bit of casting. I have never heard of this film. And that's kind of terrifying. And I'm seeing like what this did budget to box office and went, oh.
1: I have never seen it. I don't know anything about it other than it exists and Jason Momoa starred.
0: Yeah. Now
1: I'm starting to think, maybe I want to see that, just to see a different take on the character and the setting. Maybe? Now, granted, there have been so many more swords and sorcery-type movies since uh, since Conan was made, that it wasn't the novelty that Conan was in some ways. And the character is so much better known than it was. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure the movie landed differently, but... Yeah, and and, you know, Jason Momoa has a lot of talent, so it'd be interesting to see his take on the character.
0: So maybe we should watch that sometime. We might have to. In terms of revive, rest in peace. I'm, I'm leaning a rest in peace, but that's because there's a lot of other Conan stuff out there, and I don't think it means it's gonna stop. I think it means we don't need to make the movies. I've heard more stuff about later Conan books and comics and a, a very discussed Conan miniatures board game that had a very interesting uh, set of systems that people talked about a bunch. I think that this brand, this, this property, keeps making other things and is always going to be an influence, but movies are not always going to be the best avenue for it. And if they are it doesn't have to be about this movie in particular or this series of movies. So that's where I'm kind of leaning. It's a, it's a rest in peace because this will keep evolving and changing and adding.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. It's, it's, um, as with any adaptation, we have to go back and think about not just a revive or reboot of this particular adaptation, but what else can you do with this? And that's, uh, the things that you pointed out are great evidence of that. That drive to build upon another author's work that we saw with people picking up the sword of Conan and writing more stories about him, that has not stopped. And it's no there's no sign that it ever will. But as far as this movie goes, as we've said, our definitions are, you know, revive means another story with the same continuity in in which what we've what has come before is still canon, and reboot is a whole new vision of that material. So we'll be back in two weeks <laughs> with uh, another episode of the I double MP podcast, talking about another movie that I get to
0: show Ian. I wonder <laughs> why do I hear thundering kettle drums? <laughs> ah, Yes. Well, in the meantime, Dad, where can they find you online? Oh, you can find me as By Matthew
1: Porter. So go to ByMatthewPorter.com. You can also find me as By Matthew Porter on uh, Twitter. And you can find me uh, as By Matthew Porter on YouTube. And if you go to YouTube, you'll find the Draft House Diary, where I review every visit I make to the Alamo Draft House. The movie, the food, the theater, the whole experience. And occasionally, I have a special guest reviewer
0: who is my son. Hey! Hey! And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found most places as Item Crafting, such as Twitch as Item Crafting Live and Item Crafting on YouTube and Twitter. And I'm at itemcrafting.com.
1: And you can find the podcast. You can find us on Twitter as IMMPCast. You can also find us at www.immproject.com. And that's where you will find all of our back episodes as well as a link to our Patreon. Thank you very much for anybody who can support us there. You help keep the show going and you get bonus. Uh, audio content for supporting. And you'll also find a link to our YouTube, a link to our shop, if you like coffee mugs and T-shirts and things. And also speaking of Patreon, a special bonus right now for the holiday season. We have a couple of different tiers of uh, of patrons there. One, all of them get you the special audio content and access to our uh, special parts of our Discord. But if you join at the movie club level, you also get a surprise DVD in the mail every few months. Now, normally, the movie club benefits kick in when you have been a member of the movie club for a couple of months prior to each shipment. But for the holidays, anyone who is a member of the movie club uh, by January 1st will receive the uh, special DVD shipment At the beginning of 2023, even if you sign up at the very end of the year, you're in for the first shipment of next year.
0: If you've ever wanted to experience the podcast the way I do and not always know what movie you're going to get to see next, this is an excellent opportunity to come join me.
1: And also another special offer. To celebrate our hundredth episode that was a couple of months ago and the fact that we're now into our fifth year of this podcast, if you send us a self-addressed stamped envelope at Intermillennium Media Project, P.O. Box 271-167, Littleton, Colorado, 80127, we will send you back stickers. And you can also find that address on the contact page at that website, immproject.com, where we'd love to hear from you about Conan or about old movies or anything else. So thank you very much for listening. Most importantly, thank you for being here. We hope you'll be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk to you then. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis... And the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And on to this Conan, destined to bear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. It is I, his chronicler, who alone can tell thee of his saga. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure.